All right. Well, welcome everybody to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of Scripture and all of the things that come from Scripture, things in our faith like theology, community, discipleship, and ethics, and everything else is supposed to come from our understanding of the Bible. My name is John McCambridge, and I'm here with my co-host, Jackie Mitchell. Jackie, what's going on? Hey, excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too. So this is a new podcast yeah. that, that we're starting uh, for our church community here at 514 Church, but also for anybody who happens to, to find this out on, on the internet. And so <laughs> what are we doing with this podcast? What is this supposed to be? Yeah, uh, we've been talking a lot, you and I, about... Um, just how scripture can seem daunting. And I think I think we don't engage with it. I mean, I know that we don't engage with it the way we ought to. And so this is our partial answer to it, yeah. you know, to start um, together, to read through scripture as a community um, and to make sense of it together. So Yeah, so, so Jackie and I both, both work for a local church here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I run like our operations and am our teaching pastor here. And Jackie's great. She's yeah. on the worship team. She's a staff leader in our group's ministry. And she has an interest in the nerdy things of biblical theology, which Love I always, I, I'm always looking for people like that because <laughs> sometimes they're hard to find. And so the, the heart of this podcast is to give people a glimpse into how to read the Bible, to give them a, a starting point for what that looks like and how to actually do it. Uh, one of the things that really came up for, for Jackie and I as we were going through stuff for like our small groups ministry was Jackie came across a very intensive study yeah. about how, I mean, specifically how Christians engage with the Bible, yeah. how often. And so not necessarily surprised that people don't engage with the scriptures in general, but the the statistics that we saw from this report was really that, that Christians don't really engage with the Bible very much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And even less this year. So I found a study um, through the American Bible Association. They do the state of the Bible each year. So this is 2022s. Um, and they saw one of the largest drops across the board in Bible engagement, scripture engagement, um, down 39%, which is just crazy. For but, the year. Yeah, but overall, and they categorized people into three different categories. So mm -hmm. scripture disengaged, which is like, I, I never read the scripture. I'm not a Christian. I'm not engaged with it. Movable middle, which would be like you're like, Christmas, Easter, goers, like maybe I like share a Bible verse every once in a while would on Facebook, probably, but I don't really... Yeah, would identify as Christian. Yeah, I, but I don't really engage with the Bible. And then what they call, you know, Scripture engaged, which is three to four times a year is how they describe it. Three to four times a year they're engaging with Scripture. And those were down 21%, so 14.7 million less adults, they estimate, in that, that Scripture engaged category from last year. And that, that's d defined as four times a year. Yeah. To yeah. open it outside of church. Right. So so that people would, you know, 21% less people mm -hmm. than last year are engaging with their scripture four times a year outside of church. Yeah. So so I guess, you know, it's interesting when you think about a study like that. Like, I don't know if that's surprising or not, but it yeah. is But it is alarming in the sense that, you know, as Christians, which we're going to talk about this in this podcast a lot, the Bible's supposed to be like the bedrock of what we believe and how we behave. Yeah. It's supposed to really inform our thoughts and our practice. It's supposed to be the the foundation of our entire worldview yeah. Yeah. that we're making decisions on, that we're leading yeah. our family based upon, um, and just that we're living in this world based upon. And so the the, the reality that, that that engagement's not happening really at all. Yeah, it sounds like we're starving. Yeah, yeah, like we need to learn how to do it. So when you think about that kind of lack of engagement, you know, to me, the question is why? Yeah. You know, why why would that be? And, you know, I think there's probably many answers to that question. And so there's probably not like a, a golden bullet for that. But, but one of the reasons that I think people would, would shy away from the Bible is because it is a strange and intimidating book. Absolutely. You know, like, like we don't really have anything that old. Yeah. That, this is definitely the oldest book yeah. I'm reading on a daily basis for sure. Like I, I think because the Bible is pretty ubiquitous in our culture, yeah. you've kind of forget yeah. That it's like one of the oldest things that we actually have, at least the oldest thing yeah. that we have that's culturally relevant that we tell people they're supposed to pick up and not only like read or understand, but like engage with and let it right. form them. And so because it's old, that actually makes it strange and, and weird and intimidating at times. And, mm -hmm. and so you have to learn how to read it. Yeah. You have to have a paradigm for how to engage with it. And so you think about like different examples in your life where this might be true. Um, Jackie's on our worship team, and so she knows how to read music, but I don't know how to read music. So if you if you put sheet music in front of me, 
I wouldn't know what to do with it. And you could like show it to me and you could even describe a little bit what the little markings, you know, <laughs> what, what are they called? The little markings, the yeah. notes. The notes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like what the little notes mean and why they go where they are and all of that. But if you don't actually teach me to engage with it, then I'm probably going to put that sheet music down and there's really no reason for me to pick yeah, it back up It's not relevant. Again. Yeah. Right. But the flip side of that is that if you do teach somebody how to use it, something very beautiful Absolutely. can come from it, right? Yeah. Uh, another example would be like a, a box score of an athletic event, like a sporting event. So you have like a box score for a baseball game. And if you know what those numbers mean and you know what the columns are and you know what the, the rows are, you can understand uh, like a lot about what happened in the game that was played, at least statistically. But you have to know what that is. If you put that in front of somebody and they don't know baseball and they've never read a box score before, you could show them and, and say like, okay, this means this and this means this. But if you don't teach them to engage with it or if they have no interest in baseball, right. uh, then th there'd be no reason for them to pick it back up again. Yeah. And to engage with it. Exactly. Or to use it. And so to some degree, you know, I actually feel like we do this with the Bible that, you know, as, as pastors or church leaders, you or just Christians in general, you tell people they're supposed to read it. And a lot of Christians know that they're supposed to read it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Christians feel guilty that they're not reading it. Mm -hmm. And their pastors stand up on stage and say, you need to be engaged in the scriptures. We put out small group curriculum and we say, you need to read the Bible. But they don't know how. Yeah. They don't have a paradigm to approach something that is this specific and this, this strange. And, yeah. and you know, if, if we're not taught how to read it, then then there's no reason to assume that people are going to. Yeah, and it's hard. I, I think that it's much easier to listen to someone play music yep. than for you to know how it works or you to read yeah. music yourself or play it. And Good so, point. like, you know, it's easier as a Christian to just go to church and listen to stuff about the Bible, yeah. right? Or listen to a sermon about the Bible, join a Bible study where other people lead it. And, like, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. Certainly not. But... You know, our hope is that you would be actively engaged in your faith. And so... Yeah, especially because of, like, what the Bible's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the main reasons that, that, you know, lack of Scripture engagement is a problem is because as Christians, our whole worldview is supposed to be based upon the biblical mm -hmm. truth, which you, which you can only get from reading it. And so, like, there's things that you see in our culture right now where you, you can see this being a problem. You know, one of, one of the things that I think about a lot is the, the culture war issues that you see mm. going on right now. Th things like ethics and morals and, and, and politics. And on one side, you know, typically, you have people who are pretty upfront about the fact that they don't care about the Bible. That that's right. not what's driving their worldview. They're not using that to make decisions or to, to create a moral matrix. Uh, but on the other side, you have people who are claiming to be biblical Christians. But then a lot of times you hear the arguments that are put forth or the positions that they champion, and it's pretty clear that, that they, they must not really be that engaged yeah. with the Bible. And so there's this whole culture war thing that's going on where I'm not sure that Christians are actually represented in that, mm. at least not biblical Christianity mm. is, is represented that in any meaningful way. But, but that's, you know, that's what you're going to see when you log on to social media or when you read about this stuff in the news. And so that, that's a problem. Yeah. You have two sides arguing about something, neither of which seems to be particularly biblically based, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that we can only look at the world, we should be, through the Bible. And so we don't know the Bible. We really won't know what to say when the world presents us with issues. Uh, there's no other way around it. I, I mean, right. we will follow what the world says right. because that's what we're steeped in. But I don't think if we're not engaging with the Bible, we, you know, magically, when the time comes to address a problem, I won't magically have my, you know, my understanding of the Bible if, if I haven't been in the Word and I don't understand the Bible to begin with. And so it's understandable, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. And, you know, my, our hope in this podcast is not to, like, pick apart yeah. what other people think or do or, right. or whatever. Um it is to put forth a positive yeah. vision of how to engage with the scriptures. Uh, but, but there are some other things that you see, like, and I kind of want to specifically camp on like what you see amongst professing Christians mm. where you can sometimes see the lack of, you know, biblical mm. saturation. Yeah. You know, so, so what, what do you, what do you think some of those things are? Yeah. Uh, I talk a lot about 
me and my husband talk about this a lot, about a like me-centered idea of the Bible. Mm-hmm. While I certainly think like the Bible is written f- to us, right, and for us, um, the the main point of the story is not me, but about God and who God is. It's a revelation of who God is. Mm. But I do see a lot of times that you know we can take the Bible and make it this like moral book to understand myself better in terms of like, I I read the story of David Goliath. That's me. I'm David. (laughs) How does this apply to me? How does this make me look or make me feel? Right. And so I I think that because of stuff like that, we end up missing a huge portion of the Bible because we assume the Bible is about like, I'm a good person or I'm a bad person or, you know, I do this, I shouldn't do that. And while that's all true and that's all revealed through scripture, the main revelation of scripture is still who God is yeah, to so, us. But right. yeah. Yeah. So, so the Bible is, is the revelation of God. Yeah. And then it does reveal us sure, but yeah. through, through the lens of who God is Absolutely. And, and who he created us to be. And sometimes we do tend to read Bible stories like fables. Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of that is understandable because when you're trying to, you know, in like we think about our kids ministry here, you, when you try to introduce kids to the Bible, the Bible is actually not a children's book. Right. Like it's, there's, there's like some pretty like heavy topics yeah. in there. It's, it's pretty intense at yeah. times. And so you have to present it in a way that is digestible for like a child right. in Sunday school or, or back, you know, in, in our kids' teachings and everything. Um, and so I think that that's understandable. But I think a lot of times what happens is that people understand the Bible to the degree that they do because they went to Sunday school and they were right. kids. But then you grow up. And you're supposed to kind of be able to take a more nuanced, complex yeah. approach to the Bible and understand the, the layers of meaning and truth and the deeper things. And a lot of times people stop their engagement with, with church when they're, when they're kids, when their parents were making them come to church. Right. So then as adult Christians, they have this understanding of the Bible that's very much a Sunday school sure, yeah. understanding. And the way that a lot of times you connect the biblical stories to the kids is you you tell it like yeah. they're, they're moral tales. Right. So the story of David and Goliath is a moral tale that you can apply to your own life right. where you are David and there's a, yeah. there's a Goliath that you, <laughs> that you need to slay or, or something like that, or you need to be brave or you need to trust right. God or... Right. Or, or whatever. And, and those lessons are in there. Yeah, for sure. And they are true. Yeah. But there is certainly a deeper, more complex nature of what that story means. Yeah, there's and, something more beautiful. And where it fits in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so, so the me-centric approach is, is, is definitely something that uh, people deal with, I think, because of the way that, yeah. that their faith is developed. Yeah. Uh, another, another funny one of those is like when you think of like Jesus and the Pharisees. Yeah. Like you're always Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I'm a lot like that guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm a lot like that guy. <laughs> uh, and and you're not like the Pharisees. Yeah. Um, which is pro- which very yeah. well may not be true. I, right? I have yet to see a, a me centric reading of the scripture that conveniently places you know yourself at like all of the worst people in scripture. Like I'm a lot like those people. It's always like yeah, I'm really yeah. I'm like well, and then I'm you know, like I, Jesus. My my Bible teachers in seminary would be like you know one thing to make sure you understand is that the Pharisees were better than you. Yeah. So not only do you place yourself as Jesus and not the Pharisees, but like the Pharisees were actually very faithful, you know. They understood the law. Yahweh followers. Forwards right? and backwards. <laughs> right, right, right. And so like they didn't have it all right. And Jesus was certainly correcting them on things. But it is funny that we even miss that. Like yeah. we don't, we, we don't yeah. even put ourselves in the place of the Pharisees who are probably much more faithful yeah. believers than we are. But we actually are like, well, we, we would be like Jesus in that situation. I would do what Jesus right. did we, probably we would every time. the sinners yeah. and the tax collectors. <laughs> Yeah, so there's like that me-centric reading. Uh, yeah. what, what, what else? What else do you see? I think something that goes along with that is a reading of the Bible that ends up saying, you are enough, right? Like, like I am, are. yeah. Mm. I am enough the way I am. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, sufficient for myself. And I don't think that's true if we actually read Scripture. But I do think right. that that's like... It kind of goes along with this moral reading of scripture. If we get that incorrect, we end up taking the Bible as as a a feel good story, right? Something to read mm-hmm. when I when I feel low, I want to feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. So here's let me read this. Right. And I, God created me. That's true. I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. That's so true. But I'm missing, you know, mm-hmm. the the 
the hope of the gospel when I say, right. you know, I, I'm enough, I'm self-sufficient. And yeah. so, yeah. And, and, and we'll get into this stuff, but like, you know, we were created for union with God. Yeah. And sin has separated us from God. Mm-hmm. So in that condition, you're like, you're not enough. Yeah. That is the point of salvation. And that is the point of, of, of redemptive history. And one of the things that happens when you take that kind of like uh, um, inspirational outlook on the Bible, yeah. like, is there's only, you know, there's only certain verses yeah. or certain stories. That you, you can, can only read. really make like an Instagram <laughs> post of like certain, yeah. certain Bible verses. Yeah. So there's like, you know, a lot of uh, verses from Romans 8 that people are going to post. But yeah, yeah, crossed. But there's not going to be a lot from the book of Judges. Yeah. Right. Or, or, <laughs> and, and, you know, there's 150 Psalms. But there's like eight psalms that are quoted a lot, right? Because some of the psalms, you know, are dark because yeah. it's it's real people really crying out to God, laments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you you definitely clip the Bible and you make it so there's only really certain parts of it that you can engage with. If that is this, if that is you know what you think it's supposed to yeah. be about. Yeah. And then what happens is we get to those other parts and we say, well, that doesn't really matter. That's not the main central thing, mm-hmm. which we can't do to the Bible. Yeah. Oh, we're we're the point of this podcast is to say that all of the Bible matters and we right. want to go through all of it. So right. we can't just say like, well, I'm just going to read the parts that make me feel good or are, you know, applicable to me. Right. It's all in a way applicable to us and it's all applicable to God. Yep. And he's revealed all of it to us. So. Yep. And yeah. so, you know, the point of what we're trying to do is definitely not to like deconstruct anything. It's actually yeah. to construct something yeah. that's full and whole and that is faithful to what the Bible is supposed to be. So really what we're going to be doing in this podcast uh, is, is every week we're going to be reading the Bible with you. We, we want to we teach you how to engage with it. We want to show you what it says. We want to show you what it's for. And we want to show you what can happen when you let it get into your soul and, and into your bones and allow it to transform you and change you and shape you. Uh, and so what we want to do is we want to give you a paradigm for how to read the Bible. And the paradigm that we think is good to approach the Bible with is the title of the podcast, which is Story, Symbol, Spirit. And so we're going to get into that at the end of this podcast and then, you know, every episode thereafter. But we actually think that one of the cool things about using this paradigm is that you can stop at the weird parts of Scripture yeah. and you can understand them. You know, wh- one of the things that is difficult about reading the Bible is that you get to these certain points and there are stories that are really weird they're really strange. They feel like they couldn't possibly be relevant or applicable to your life or the church today or your community. Uh, and, and so we want to actually take those questions on because we, we, want, mm-hmm. we want those parts of the Bible to matter yeah. like they do. That, that is the revealed Word of God, even that, that strange story or those strange parts of the story. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, like we talked about, it's not enough to say that part doesn't matter to me. Yeah. We're called to be faithful believers. Mm-hmm. We need to believe what scripture says. We can only do that if we read all of it. Right. Right. And, not, and those parts are the They're reveal, in there. The reveal. Yeah. And here. they were, yeah, God put them in there. He wants right. Us to so, have yeah. Us. Yeah. So we, exactly. So, so we should engage yeah. in it. So, this is like, it's not to like scold people and say, like, you're reading the Bible wrong. Yeah. It's to, I think, have a sober outlook on the idea that even if you're reading the Bible, there are parts that seem impenetrable. Yeah. And we think that that using this paradigm of story, symbol, spirit, you can actually penetrate those parts yeah. and you can understand them and apply them. Uh, a good example of this would be like the story of, of the golden calf, which is a story that, that most people know and, and most people have heard and are familiar with, at yeah. least in its like general context, but but th- that's a story where the Israelites are freed from slavery in Egypt, and they're delivered through the Red Sea, and they come to the bottom of Mount Sinai, and God is going to give them instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. So Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to get these instructions, and while he's up there, they decide to build themselves a golden calf and to worship it, which is immediately breaking one of the right. only Ten Commandments that they have thus far right received off the bat. from God. And so then Moses comes down, he's mad, and God is mad. And God is so mad that the scriptures say that he wants to kill all of the Israelites and start over with Moses. And so Moses intercedes and says, like, don't do that. And so the, the Bible says that then God relents and mm-hmm. he does not kill them. So then Moses goes down to the bottom. He yells at his brother Aaron, who's the priest who, yeah. who did this. 
He grinds up the gold. He puts it into water, and he makes all the Israelites drink it. Then he goes and he kills a couple thousand of the Levites who are the priests. Mm-hmm. And then the story goes on. Yeah. And you read that story, and usually like Bible teachers are going to be like, okay, well, the point is that the Israelites are, were unfaithful, and they broke these commandments yeah. immediately. Yeah. And so the, the thing that you should take from that is like don't yeah. practice idolatry and don't disobey God. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, but... I have a lot more questions. Yeah, like yeah. think about what I just said. Like, yeah. why, like, okay, why were they going to build a tabernacle? Right. Or what is a tabernacle? Right. That, that that's a that's a good question. How long was Moses up the mountain? Why did he have to go up to? Why a mountain? did he have to go up the mountain? And to why see just God? him? And why just him? Right. And and how long was he up there before they yeah. before they disobeyed? Like, yeah, was it, it seems like, like they did that right away. Or was <laughs> it, you know, like, uh, why did they want to build a calf? Yeah. What, what is that about? And then, like, God wanted to kill them for this? Yeah. Like, that seems a little bit harsh. Yeah. And then Moses interceded and God's mind got changed. Like, does God change his mind? Mm. Can we change God's mind? Uh, and then Moses kills a bunch of his own people. Yeah. And, like, is that's kind of, like, sick and twisted. Like, why did he do that? Like, what is going on yeah. with this story? And if if our response as Christians, when people ask those questions, is like, well, you know, don't worry about that. The story is about yeah. disobedience, and you, like you need to obey yeah. God and take the the central lesson from it. Then we're signaling to the people that that are asking us that a maybe there is something wrong with the story. Like mm-hmm. maybe we're embarrassed mm-hmm. about that story, uh, or b like you don't actually need to read the Bible because you just asked me a bunch of questions and I told you it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, those are uh, those are those are not good responses. No, to somebody who reads these stories that are admittedly strange, and they they have questions about it. Uh, and and what I believe is that those questions have real reason and real explanation. Hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to treat it that way. Um, and and I don't ever really try to prove anything when it comes to like God. And scripture, but there's plenty of context to approach all of those questions that that I just asked, and so we're going to do that as as we move forward. Absolutely. So where do we yeah. start? Yeah, um, you know, I would say that we should start by saying that part of the beauty of the Bible is its strangeness. Hmm. Like it is strange, and it's ancient, and it's and it's mystical, and we're claiming that it has power. So we should approach it like we not only want to, but like we need to understand it, like we mm-hmm. need to engage it mm-hmm. in, in, in a healthy way. Um, when you think about communication, like sometimes the strangest, if something's strange, it's intentionally strange to get our attention. Yeah. Right? And so God is trying to communicate something in that story about the golden calf, mm-hmm. not just that disobedience is bad. That doesn't need to happen be recorded and be passed on through history right. to tell us that disobedience to God is bad. Right, because he says it in Scripture already. He already says it. He already gave them the Ten Commandments yeah. before that. Um, and so that's not the point of that story. Yeah. The point is to show us something really, really, really deep about ourselves uh, and, and and what that story can can mean to us and how, yeah. how we can apply it. So um, we're, we're going to go through the Bible through this, this lens, um, story, symbol, and spirit. Okay, so um, the way that I kind of want to end this podcast, because next week we'll we'll get into some more details about what the Bible is, is I want to talk about these three things. And and what do do we mean when we say story, symbol, Mm. and and spirit? So um, story is one of, this is one of the most important things to understand about the Bible. Um, I was taught the Bible at Western Seminary by Tim Mackey, who's the creator of the Bible Project, and so I think that the Bible Project is the greatest tool mm. for understanding the Bible that's out there, and it's completely free. So you go to thebibleproject.com or you go to the Bible Project YouTube page, and he puts together these really well done, you know, five to ten minute animated videos that tell the story of the Bible from beginning to end, and the story of every single book of the Bible, and then also they have videos that trace themes throughout the Bible. So my advice to people is always like, if you want to understand how to read the Bible, you should start with the Bible project. You should engage with this with this tool. Um, it's it's really beautiful, and and the reason that's helpful 
is because primarily that's what the Bible is. It's a narrative. It's a story. It's an epic narrative. And so from the beginning to the end, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, it's one continuous story. It has a beginning. It has a conflict. It has an arc of resolution. It has a final resolution. And it has to be read as such. So I think that most of the foundation of you know what I'll call biblical illiteracy comes from a failure to understand that. The story. The story, yeah. or, or even to understand that it is a story. Yeah. You know, we're going to talk next week about what people, how people tend to approach the Bible. Yeah. That's not the most helpful way. And so a lot of times, like, you know, people are going to open up the Bible to a certain book in the New Testament, and they're going to read it. And there can be beautiful truth that comes from that reading. Hmm. And God reveals himself in that way for sure. But whatever's being written in the New Testament is directly connected to everything that was written before it. So whatever Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is, is connected to all of the Old Testament and the Gospels. Mm -hmm. And so to gain and mine the meaning of what Paul is talking about, you have to have some familiarity of the story. You know, you think about um, if you're watching a movie and you tune in and you're like 50 minutes in, mm -hmm. like uh, now we have streaming, so this isn't a problem. Yeah. But when I was a kid... Yeah. Everything would run on like TNT or TBS yeah. or whatever. And they would play the same movies over and over. Yeah. But if you had never seen the movie before and it was just playing and there was no ability to rewind, then if it was halfway through, you would have to, you know, turn it off and then wait yeah. until you could catch the beginning. Or you make assumptions or you, about or the characters. You, yeah, or you make a bunch of assumptions. Yeah. That, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good point. Because whatever happened in minute five yeah. of that movie matters for minute 120. The director put it in there for a reason. Put it in there for a reason, yeah. and they left a lot on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. So whatever's in there is important, and, it, and yeah. it's all connected. Um, you can see the resolution of the movie and understand some things about the story. Yeah. You can get some yeah. meaning from it, but you cannot get the full picture yeah. and, and the full meaning from it. It's meant to be experienced as a whole. And the Bible is, is the same thing. But what, you're, what you'll see is, if you take that movie example, um, once you know the movie because you've seen it like 10 times, then mm -hmm. you can turn it on 50 minutes in and you, and you understand what's happening and you understand it in its fullness because those dots have already been connected. So you don't always have to read the Bible as a story right. from beginning you to end. You don't have to start at Genesis every time. Every time you well, pick it up, right? That's good. But once you understand and have internalized that, then when you turn yes. to the book of Romans or when you turn to 1 Corinthians or, or when you turn to the book of Judges, something that a lot of us like don't read, yeah. you know where that fits yeah. and you can start to, to, make, to make sense of it. You know? yeah. uh, a, a, good, a good example of this would be that we as Christians believe that Jesus on the cross is the ultimate sacrifice. Mm -hmm. We put crosses in our churches we preach when we preach the gospel, the cross, the crucifixion is in there. And the book of Hebrews says that he is the once and for all sacrifice. Well, that's not just a general idea of sacrifice. What, mm -hmm. what that means is that whatever the sacrificial system of Israel was, Jesus has fulfilled that. Yeah. And so we step into that. And so you actually have to know what the sacrificial of Israel, yeah. of the sacrificial system yeah. of Israel was and how, how, they engage with it, and yeah. then therefore how Jesus fulfills it. All of that is in Leviticus, but we don't read Leviticus. Yeah, and that's huge. Yeah. Until I got to college um, and took some biblical studies courses, I, I was in that mindset of, you know, I'm going to read the New Testament. I think the New Testament means that the Old Testament doesn't matter. Right. And so I won't really read too much of the Old Testament. I know the stories in it, but I don't, like, for my life, right. I should just read the New Testament, which is... Which yeah. is missing out on right, exactly. more than half of the scripture. And again, you don't have to read Leviticus yeah. every time you read the right. crucifixion story. Right. But you do have. But but. But you, you have to know that it connects. Yeah, or, or at least at least once you do. Yeah. Then that what happens to Jesus on the cross has a much much fuller meaning mm -hmm. of and and you have a better understanding of what we mean when we say that we're people of the cross. Yeah. And and people of the resurrection, um, and so that's the the story narrative. So everything that we talk about, we're going to put in the context of the story of Scripture, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to start at the beginning, 
and we're going to go all the way through because that's how you read right. narratives, right? And that's how we tell stories and as humans. That's how we tell stories, exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think once you start to see the patterns, I'll, I'll speak for myself here, it's like addicting yeah. to know more. Yep. It's highly fascinating. I might be nerdy, but no. I, it's so fascinating, and it makes you love the scriptures more and love God more. Yeah. To realize how intricate this story is woven, no other story compares. Absolutely. Um, when you do like a home project and you know, like I'm not particularly, I don't have like great craftsmanship, but I do own a home. And so I have to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing it and, and you're, and it's not going right, like the, the, you know, like the screws or whatever, they're not like going in the way that they should or whatever. It's really frustrating. Yeah. Right. But then when you, and you want to quit, but then when you figure it out or you see something about the project as a whole that makes you be able to, to do that particular task and it works, something in your brain makes you really yeah. like that. Like it's legitimately yeah. like dopamine yeah. and serotonin. And the same thing is true of the Bible. When you start to connect those dots and you start to see, oh, this is what the, the people of God were doing in the sacrificial system. Yeah. I didn't know that before. You, you get that feeling. And then you connect it to what's happening with Jesus and you get yeah. that feeling. Then you connect it to the book of Hebrews that actually talks about that. Yeah. And you get that feeling. And then you connect it to Revelation, yeah. which is the fulfillment of all of that. And it's like, you're right, it is addicting because it really does feel good to figure things out. Oh, yeah. It feels like a scene in a detective movie where it's yeah. like they've got all the red string and they're <laughs> like, this guy matches up with this right, guy. And the, right. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 So, that, so that's story. So that's going to be really, really important for, for what we do. And like I said... Um, you know, people like Tim Mackey, N.T. Wright, uh, Scott McKnight, these guys have put, I mean, they're brilliant, brilliant scholars, and they've put their life's work into that concept. How does the Bible from beginning to end tell a story, and where do, do all the pieces and parts mm -hmm. fit into that grand narrative? And so um, I would recommend, you know, engaging with, with those authors and, yeah. and with those, you know, with the Bible Project and all of that. But we'll be doing that every time we, we read the Bible. So then the second part of the paradigm is called symbol. Hmm. And I actually think that this might be the most difficult one for people to internalize because hmm. we don't really think this way. And so what I mean when I say symbol is I mean that, that the Bible speaks in symbolic ways because creation is symbolic. Hmm. And when we think of symbols, we think that that means that they're like not real but I mean the exact opposite. So when we look at Genesis, what, what I believe is true and what I've been taught by people who are much smarter than me is that when you think about the way that the world is, uh, you have to ask yourself the question, why did God create the world? Mm. Why did he create this, this thing that we're living in? Why? And I think that maybe the best answer to that question is that he created the world that he might have a relationship with his creation. Mm -hmm. And so he wants us to know him he wants us to know what he's like, and he wants us to know what we're supposed to do. And when you read the scriptures, you see something like Psalm 119. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the way that we think about symbols in our modern post-scientific revolution, post-industrial revolution context is we think that what must have happened is people, like the authors of the Bible, looked around at the world, and they believed that there was a God, and so they looked around at the world and they thought, how do these things that just happen to be here mm -hmm. relate to God? Yeah. And so they symbolically talk about those things that way. Yeah. But the change in perspective that I want to bring to this podcast is that I actually think that what happened is that God created those things primarily as symbols that point to him. Yeah. So something about trees symbolically point to God. That's why they were created. Something about birds in the sky symbolically point to something beyond us. Things like the geographical diversity of the world, the fact that there's mountains, the fact that there's oceans, the fact that there's flatland, that there's deserts, that there's valleys, that there's hills, um, that there's forests. Th that part of creation points to God. In fact, its primary purpose is to somehow point to God. And because we are images of God, they also help us to, to understand ourselves. And so I don't mean symbolic as if it's like not literal. 
I mean yeah. that that a bird is literally something that points to God somehow. Yeah. So this has to do with like the intentionality of God. There, there's a scholar, he's a Reformed scholar named James B. Jordan. He wrote a book called Through, Through New Eyes. And this is like really helpful to, to understand about this. Now, it doesn't mean that our modern scientific understanding of the world is wrong. You know, so like when we think like, what's the purpose of a tree? It's like, well, the, I don't actually know science very well. <laughs> yeah, I like, don't know what the purpose is. <laughs> you know, like... Well, it makes like oxygen, right? Oxygen, yeah. right, exactly. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Or right? We or all, yeah, we CO2? All uh, uh, no, 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 it makes oxygen. Okay, well, and, I don't know. And so, um, and so the point of the tree is that it's a part of like the symbiotic relationship of the ecosystem. Yeah. Now, that's true. It is. Yeah. And God created those patterns and all of that also, which is beautiful. Yeah. But but why shouldn't a tree point to God? Yeah, and the why is still there. It's it's in the system, but right. why? Right. So it's still there. Right. Unless the answer is to point to and glorify God. Right. So so whether we know it or not, we think of the world as being random mm-hmm. and just here. And so if we want to make sense of God, we have to look at what's here and then try to figure out how that points to God. But but yeah. this this understanding, which is actually revolutionary, and you're going to have to trust me, and we're going to have to walk through the creation story to, to, to show this and to see this. What, what's revolutionary about this worldview is that um, it changes the way you interact with the world. Yeah. There's something about weather. Yeah. There's something about seasons. There's something about rocks and jewels and diamonds and emeralds and rubies that somehow, some way, point to God yeah. because they're supposed to. They, they were actually created to do so. So, like, a, a, an interesting example of this is the, the priests of the, the is, Israelites would, on, on, their, um, on their tunics, mm-hmm. before they would walk into the temple, you know, they would have, they would have all of these stones yeah. in, in their, like, that's not, like, random, and it's not like, oh, well, they want to look cool. So they put, like, rubies and Probably and did jewels look cool, though. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, 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 the turquoise on them. Yeah. It's because something about that, they understood that to point to God. Yeah. Right. And once you unlock this, it really, really makes a lot of the, th- the, th- the stories of the Bible that occur in the natural world. Like Jesus calming the storm is something that you have to really understand what the ocean or the sea is. Right. S- that God created the sea to point to something. Well, because wouldn't you say this is how the biblical author's worldview was largely shaped? They this did. Is, this is a modern problem of yes. ours that we've separated. That's this. exactly right. That's exactly right. So so they didn't have a, a scientific understanding of the world. Yeah. It doesn't mean that their understanding of the world contradicts a scientific understanding. Yeah. It's just that they didn't approach the world first as like a closed system of material yeah. cause and effect. They approached it as something that was mysterious and wonderful and divine. Yeah. And that, that God created it for the purpose of revealing himself to them. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you read those stories and it's like Jesus calming the sea is not just about him showing his power. Mm-hmm. It's about something much deeper because the sea represents something. And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, as we get into that story. But that's going to become really important, especially in Genesis, mm-hmm. because that's when things were created. And, and then the story begins and, and then we get into the story part. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the, the symbol aspect of the paradigm. And then the, the spirit aspect of the paradigm is also going to be difficult for us because, yeah. um, you know, we don't really, as modern people, believe in a spiritual realm. Yeah. We, we, even if we say that we do, it's really hard for us to, to understand what that means yeah. or, or to experience it, you know, an, an unseen realm. And I think we think of it symbolically, like we talked the about world. the way we view symbols right. is a lot of the way we view the spirit world. Right, exactly, exactly. Because primarily, like I said, we view the world materially yeah, and, and, and scientifically. Uh, but the Bible does not understand reality that way. The, the, bi- mm-hmm. the biblical worldview is that our world and therefore our experience is spiritually porous, mm-hmm. that the, there's a spirit world and there's our you know, embodied reality. And these things actually interact with each other. There's an unseen realm of spirits and gods and angels and demons. And they don't, you know, not only do they exist, but they act in or upon like our terrestrial world. Yeah. 
constantly. Yeah. Um, and so they did not believe that all that exists is matter and energy and forces in this closed mm-hmm. system of cause and effect. Uh, and so they believed that this world and therefore their experience was permeated with the divine yeah. and the spiritual and, and the non-material yeah. and the unseen. And so that's what the Bible reflects. How did that change their worldview then? How did that change their their life, their actions? Right. I mean, significantly. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, th- there's a, uh, a scholar named Charles Taylor. He's a Catholic philosopher, mm-hmm. and he wrote a, he wrote a book um, called The Secular Age. And his question was, how is it that 500 years ago it was impossible to not believe in God? And 500 mm-hmm. years later now it kind of feels sometimes like it's impossible to believe in God. And his conclusion, what he spends a lot of time in that book, or it's two volumes doing, is showing how the world went from being what I called spiritually porous, where there's an interaction between the divine, the unseen, and our physical world, to being closed. Yeah, There's no interaction between those things. That's how we understand the world, right? And so we don't think that we have to worry about, you know, I mean, sometimes we think about like demonic possession mm-hmm. and we see that sometimes, but we don't really think that we have to worry about, you know, demons, you know, moving our thought patterns, yeah, you know, um, spiritual forces of evil oppressing us, having, mm-hmm. having influence over us. Mm-hmm. But the biblical authors believed in all of that. I mean, they believed in it as if it was, you know, the way that, that you and I believe that when I breathe in, I breathe in oxygen. Yeah. You know, they believed in the spiritual world in that way. And so, like, yeah. we really have no ability to understand the Bible if we don't see that mm. in the text. And quite frankly, our experience shows us that this is true also, that there is some kind of unseen forces that are in this world. Do tell. Well, I mean, you know, when, when you talk to somebody like... Uh, somebody of like the younger generation right now that's coming of age and you ask them what their religious beliefs are, more than likely they're going to mm. tell you some aspect of, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. Yeah. And what that means is that they're not Sam Harris new atheists. Right. Right. They don't just think that everything is material. They know that there's something more. There's something beyond. There are things that animate our lives that you can't touch, that you can't feel. Right. You know, um, even something like the love of a child hmm. or the love of your spouse, it's not just the chemical reactions yeah. that are happening in your brain. Those things are physically happening, but that, but that's not what that love is. It's something beyond that. It's something more than that. And that is non-material. That's not measurable. That's not scientifically available for us to analyze. Mm -hmm. And so we feel that interaction with an unseen realm and with an unseen world, um, just like the the biblical authors do. We just pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I think if we, if we want to understand the Bible, we we have to understand that. Uh, Mm -hmm. You think about the story of the Exodus, you know, what we're going to get into when we talk about that, that is a story of God battling the gods of Egypt. That's not just a story of God delivering his people from a mean guy. Mm-hmm. That is a story of God going, actually going to war with the gods of another nation and utterly crushing them because he's the real God. Yeah. He's the creator God. Um, like, we actually kind of like the story that the other way better. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, we believe that there's God, and sometimes he interacts in our world. And so here's this evil king who's oppressing innocent people, and so God comes in and crushes yeah. that king. Well, that is an effect of that of what God does in that story, but the story is about spiritual warfare. Yeah, and it begs the question, where did, you know, Pharaoh's intentions come from? Exactly. Exactly. What was, and who was who, influencing him? Who did he think that he was? If it wasn't God, yeah. And who, and who did he think he was serving? Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, that, that that's going to be the hard part of the interpretive lens, you know, symbol and spirit shows you the distance between us modern people and yeah. the biblical yeah. authors. Yeah, because we still participate in stories. We do so still, this is, we do still participate in stories. That's the easier we don't, part. We don't know that the Bible is a story, yeah. but once you point it out, it is actually pretty intuitive. Yeah. you'll pick up on it. The other things 
we have to, and we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about like the authority of scripture, the, the other things you kind of have to give yourself to. Mm-hmm. You have to believe that because that's how God reveals himself, that that's real. Yeah. And then you have to choose to at least faithfully give that, you know, a, a, a view. And uh, when you do, like, you know, like I said, like, this isn't just like a, like a textual strategy. Yeah. Like, this is the way that the world is. And that's what scripture is revealing to us. Mm-hmm. And we have to see the symbol and we have to see the spirit as well. Yeah. And so... Um, Story, symbol, spirit. This is, this is the interpretive lens that we're going to be reading the Bible through every week, you know, starting, starting next week, or I guess the week after when we kind of get through some of like, what is the Bible? Yeah, we've got to set up some of those presuppositions first. Right, right. So, so uh, you know, as we go through the Bible, we'll, we'll, we'll go slow. Yeah. You know, like I, I, this isn't like read the Bible in a year plan. Yeah, we don't have an end date. No, like I want, like I want to spend time in Genesis one, yeah. so that people can see the richness of what that's saying. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that we read Genesis one, which is perhaps the most complex, layered, beautiful story of truth that I have ever seen, and we see it, and our only question is, well, is that actually how the yeah. world was, was created, that or seven literal is that days, not? or was that? It's yeah, you know what I mean, like. We got to dive into yeah, that, and, absolutely. and we have to see what the story is saying and what it is setting up, and the fact that everything that happens after that is based upon that. It's really important, and so so we'll we'll, we'll take our time, and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily going to be line by line. Like some of the story, we'll go through like the yeah. narrative structure of it, yeah. um, but we will stop and, and we'll look at the hard questions along the way, and we'll ask the hard questions. And we'll engage with that because that's actually fun. It's so fun. It's fun. One thing that Jackie said to me when we were talking about, like, you know, how should we approach this is you said to me, I don't want people to be afraid to look around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Something that really stuck with me when we did uh, curriculum a couple months ago, I was watching um, Good Mythical Morning, Rhett and Link. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. I, which I don't normally watch, but they're really brilliant, like gifted communicators. And um, they each took a little bit of time to talk about why they had deconstructed their faith because they had worked for crew for years, mm-hmm. been um, Christians for years. And, you know, I think it was Rhett. He had said, I, I realized I was so scared of every corner of my faith. Like I was scared to round the corner. I was scared to ask that question because I knew I asked that question, I wouldn't have the answer for it and I would deconstruct my faith. And like, I do think a lot of us live like that. Mm -hmm. Afraid to ask those questions when there is an answer, Mm -hmm. you know. At least explanation or or, or context or or a way to address like whatever. Sure, yeah. Yeah, whatever whatever you're scared of. Yeah. You know, um, we don't have to be scared of the Bible. Yeah. Um, Michael Heiser who I'll reference quite a bit because he wrote a book called The Unseen Realm, which is, in my opinion, the, the greatest book for that spirit paradigm that we talked about. Um, he always says you don't have to be afraid of the biblical data. Yeah. So he's a, he's a scholar, and so he calls it data. But what he means is you don't have to be afraid of what's in the Bible. Like, you read it, it's there. Yeah. God wanted you to have it if you assume the things that we're going to say orthodox Christianity assumes about the Bible. It's there for a reason. Don't have to be scared of it. Yeah. You don't have to be scared of it. Yeah, because it's not sustainable to to live a faith that you are afraid of. No. Believing in. No, because like, you know, mo- a lot of the Bible you're going to open up and whatever you read, you're going to be like, what? And someone <laughs> is going to ask you about your faith at right, some point. Right, right. And they're going to be smart enough to ask you, what about the hard parts about your faith? Yep. And, and if and, you say... I don't know. I actually, maybe I don't believe that. Like the hope is that we can talk about those things here. Yes. Yes. Um, there was this school of, there's this, this school of thought called the new atheist that got popular when I was, you know, in high school and then mm-hmm. into like my college career and stuff. And, uh, one thing that I realized was that the questions that these people were asking, you know, like one of them's a brain surgeon, one of them's a philosopher, uh, they're like smart guys, but they don't know the Bible. Mm-hmm. But what they did really effectively was they, you know, I can't remember who said this, but someone that I was listening to critiquing them said, 
that what they do is they ask questions that a precocious, intelligent 13-year-old would ask. Yeah. And the fact that those questions deconstructed the faith of millions of yes. people is a big problem. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not trying to be rude, but we don't have to be scared of 13-year-olds' questions. No. Yeah. We, we should be able to engage with our yeah. faith in such a way that it's, it's mature enough and it's holistic enough that, that we, can, we can have responses and, and we can understand, you know, where that question comes in and, and how it's addressed in Scripture. And so um, that's the, the hope of, yeah. of this podcast. That's, that's yeah. what we're hoping to do. Yeah. Anything else before we kind of transition into what we're going to be talking about next week? No, I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. This is gonna, this is going to be fun. At least it's going to be fun it, for me. So hopefully, for us, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, we're going to have fun. Yeah, yeah. I can't promise Jackie. I can't promise you're going to have fun, but I, I will have fun. <laughs> this will be fun for me, and so hopefully, people find this interesting and find this useful. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to dive into like what the Bible is. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people come to assumptions, or they come to the Bible with lots of assumptions and lots of presuppositions that are already loaded. And so we want to just make sure that we at least start from the, the base and say, like, if we're going to be talking about this every week, yeah. this is what we think that it is. These are kind of the ground yeah. rules of what yeah. we have been taught yeah. and believe through you know, our, our, our church and our community and our tradition of faith. This is what the Bible actually is. So, so next week, we're going to talk about what I think are some interesting questions, like, what does it mean to say the Bible is the Word of God? What does it mean to say that it's inspired by God? What does it mean to say that it's inerrant, that there's no mistakes in it? What does it mean to say that it's authoritative, mm-hmm. that it has authority over my life? What do those things mean? Yeah, Those are all traditional. You know, when I, when I say orthodox, I mean like with a small o, orthodox, like your tr- classic tradition of faith. Those are all orthodox understandings of what the Bible is. And so we need to get into that and we need to understand you know, what's a bad way to think about something like inerrancy and what's mm-hmm. a good way to think about something mm-hmm. like inerrancy or what is yeah. what is the the more correct yeah. or holistic way. Yeah, because if we don't touch on this, we could have totally different ideas mm-hmm. on the rest of the subject matter we cover. Exactly. So we're going to lay the groundwork, a, a primer. Yep. You know, we're priming the canvas before we start painting. Yep, so we'll do that next week. And then probably the week after that, we'll have an interesting conversation, maybe with a guest, where we talk about uh, how should we? How do we know that like the scripture is reliable? Yeah. Like, how do we know what we're reading is what was written? And how did it come to be? How did it come to be? Like, was there any like funny business going on with that? Or yeah. like, you know, how do we know that this <laughs> is a trustworthy thing? If we're going to say it's authoritative and that we need to put the the basis of our life into it, then how do we know that we can trust it? And so we'll get into some of that stuff that's more along the lines of like classical apologetics, yeah. which is always interesting to me. And we'll hopefully remember to be giving you guys resources as we go that you can uh, think about this deeper on your own. Um, but, you know, this is a weekly podcast. Yep. So um, we're, we're, we're at about 50 minutes right now. So we, did, we did pretty good on time. That was pretty good. Yeah. Sometimes I start talking and it's, it's talk a lot. All the oxygen in the Let them talk. Gets, I don't know. It's used Just... up and people get tired of it. But here we are. Um, <laughs> so, Jackie, that was fun. That was Good. awesome. Episode number one. Episode number one as in the books. As, as long as there's no recording yeah. issues. We're, we're, I hope that we're recording. We're good. <laughs> that right. means, yeah. Yeah, we are. Okay, okay good. Well, okay, perfect. I, I had a lot of fun this time, Jackie, and uh, hopefully we will see you all next time. See you guys soon. Bye.